Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. to get used to that first Thursday of the month thing rather than the third Thursday. Um, but uh, We had reasons and purposes for doing that, trying to keep that game night, third Thursday of the month thing all being the same week where you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday type of thing. So uh, trying to avoid that. And plus, you might be able over time get to where you can remember first Thursday, trying to remember, well, what's, is this the third Thursday or not? You probably know whenever it's the first Thursday, so... Uh, just kind of help with that respect as well. Amen. Going to be turning to James and also to the book of Revelation, chapter number two. Also, our next generation, Friday night, they have a, I think a, I think it's a Valentine's party, a love fest uh, from six to eight. And so if your child is in that age group, amen, come, uh, Brother Zach and Sister taking care of that here Friday night from 6 to 8. I'm going to do just a little series for the next few weeks. I have a big series I want to get into this year going through the Gospel of John, but I'm not quite there yet to be able to jump off uh, in those waters. So we're going to compensate with a smaller little series right here. Not one of those 34-part things or anything like that. Just 33. No, I'm joking. <laughs> James chapter 1, number 1, verse 12. We're going to talk about over the next few weeks um, the five primary crowns that the Bible speaks of in the New Testament. Five primary crowns that the Bible speaks of. Tonight we're going to talk about the crown of life. And in reality, when I say we're going to talk about the crowns, it's not so much the crowns themselves we're going to talk about because Scripture really doesn't give a lot of detail concerning, you know, design or anything like that. We're going to kind of talk about uh, the means or purpose of why they're rewarded, all right, probably more so than anything. So, uh, but anyway, uh, let's go to James chapter number one, verse number 12. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2 and verse number 10, another location that the crown of life is spoken of. Uh, this is the letters that are written to the seven different churches of Asia. And this particular one is written to the church at Smyrna in verse number 10. Uh, Smyrna was most notably recognized as being the faithful church. There was no rebuke or, or call to repentance for Smyrna. The Bible says in verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Again, our subject matter is the crown of life. But really, how that reward of the crown of life, we could say it, who, who that belongs to, or what type of activity 
warrants the, the rewarding of such, the crown of life. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, I love you tonight. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be in your house, Lord, on Wednesday night, God, for Wednesday night Bible study, Lord Jesus, here this evening. God, open our hearts and our minds. God, our souls to you. I pray, oh God, that you would help us in the next little while. God, so we learn, Lord Jesus, of the scriptures, and by virtue of doing so, we learn of you. God, give us the strength, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Good to see each of you tonight in the house of the Lord. Good to see Mackenzie over there tonight. I see her in Walmart a lot. The other day I seen her in Walmart. She's trying to get something off. I told her she needed a step stool. She's trying to get something up high. She's, she's training somebody what to do, and uh, she had the disadvantage there. Amen. But so good to see her. She's working hard. She's a hard worker. She works harder than Hunter ever thought about. She just... <laughs> Don't get him started. Five crowns, the crown of life. There are five primary, I say primary because you could no doubt unearth some others, but there are primarily five crowns spoken of in the New Testament scriptures. There's the one that is spoken of the crown of life. There's another one spoken of as the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness you will read of in the scripture. You will read of the crown of glory and the crown of of rejoicing most people uh, would consider that these five crowns or the mentioning of these five crowns that these are five individual crowns that are awarded for some distinct and different purposes uh, in an individual's life however I suppose uh, that they could all possibly be describing even the same crown for that matter and underscoring that uh, you know, the, 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 the soul winning, the, what we'll look in tonight, the, the, the faithfulness, all these different things uh, that a person displays could merit then a crown. Maybe one person would call it a crown of righteousness, another one a crown of rejoicing. Maybe, I'm just putting that out as a maybe. But most would consider these as five distinct crowns that are awarded. The Greek word for crown in the New Testament is stephanos. I'm sure you want to write that one down to use it somewhere later in this week. But nonetheless, Stephanos, which is defined as a wreath made of foliage or designed to resemble foliage, worn by one of high status or held in high regard. Something that we must understand about the crowns is that the crowns didn't always have the same association. In other words, uh, for instance, there were crowns that were made of of flowers that were worn during uh, times of joy, such as uh, people that went to weddings and even the bride and groom all times wore a crown that was created or made of flowers. They also had these festival of joy type of crowns whenever they had certain feasts. You would see people show up to the feast wearing these, these crowns of flowers, which was nothing more but a sign of, of festival joy or lightheartedness, if you will. And so that's one aspect of some crowns, but there were other crowns that had a different association. Uh, they, there were also crowns uh, that were worn by those that were in authority, such as, as kings and other people that had stately authority, governors. Sometimes these crowns were made of gold and not vegetation or flowers. Uh, nonetheless, they were a mark of royalty upon the head of those that wore them and and they are normally translated from the greek word diadema from which we get the word diadem all right 
And so that's different from uh, the Stephanos, the other Greek word for crown. The only occasion, and then look at this just real lightly, the only occasion where Stephanos referred to a kingly crown is whenever Jesus, the, the soldiers intertwined what the Bible said was a crown, Stephanos, a crown of thorns and put it upon his head prior to crucifix. They did it mockingly as though hell the king of the Jews. But in reality, they were placing a real crown upon the head of a real king. Upon the head of a real king. And so there's that association of, uh, of kingliness, stateliness, authority, royalty. And then there are other crowns have the association of they were made of what were known as laurel leaves. And it was typically the, the victor's crown in in the New Testament, the, the Greek Olympics, they would have their games and such a crown would be awarded or given to someone that was a winner of a race or a winner of an event. They had this laurel leaf crown that would be placed upon their head and, and that crown was never given to them before the race, of course. It was granted to them whenever the race was finished or whenever the event was over. And so that's, that's another aspect. So through even the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, you see these different usages of crowns throughout the word of the Lord, uh, whether it was festivals of joy and weddings like that, or kings and, and governors of state affairs, of royalty, and others that might have been victors from some type of event, such as a race. So in one sense, the crown of life, the totality, if you will, summation, subtotal of life, the crown of life, consists really of a full sense of all of these things really together. Because Jesus came that we might have life, right? The Bible says and that we might have it more abundantly. The crown of life then will be a sign of festive joy because our own wedding day will have happened whenever the church is raptured. The marriage supper of the Lamb, if you will, will have a crown of life which very well could represent a festival of joy or a wedding that we are attending, which happens to be our own. In another way, it could definitely mark the royalty because the Bible says in that hour that we will be made kings and priests with the Lord, who is the true King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, not only that, since he was the true king that was ever crowned with a Stephanos crown, that is, amen, we are crowned with a Stephanos crown as well, amen, but true kingship, amen, that we even have is derived from the Lord. But lastly, uh, it will be our very own victor's crown because our race will have been run. Our event will have been complete. And we will have won the victory of this race that we have ran patiently along life's journey. If we go to the book of James there, James chapter number 1, get into a little bit why this crown of life or, or who it is that is re rewarded this such thing called the crown of life. James is speaking to the 12 scattered tribes of Israel in the book of James. He is talking to them primarily in chapter 1 about temptation. How many's ever been tempted? Mm-hmm. How many's been tempted after you've been born again in the water and the Spirit? Yeah, so that includes us all. There's just a few things that we need to know about temptation, and that is this. Everyone is tempted, right? And the end result of how we react and respond to the temptation really proves our love for God 
or our love for our own desires. So, as James states in verse number 2 and also really in verse number 12, it's not, and we underscore this, we talk about this, but I think it's always good to talk about, it's not if you fall into divers' temptations, it's when you fall into divers' temptations. That's the way the Scripture states. It's when you fall into or when you encounter, when you come across divers. We're not talking about temptations for those people that dive off the high dive into the swimming pool. It's talking about divers' is various, various temptations. Uh, he even said in verse number 12, I believe that it's not if you are tried, but when you are tried. So no one gets a uh, free out-of-jail card whenever it comes to temptation. No one is exempt from temptation because none of us are free from our fleshly desires. As we live in this life right now, we're not free from them. We're trying to keep them under control. Amen. They're, they're still a part of this humanity and this flesh and the mind that I have. One of these days, rapture by grave, one of these days, there will be the total freedom uh, from these fleshly desires. But as it is right now, the best that we can do through the Spirit is have them under control. All right? Is to have them under the control. And so Paul speaks even to the church at Ephesus about, he says, he says, this is how you used to walk. In times past, this is how you walked. You once walked, uh, you know, according to the ways of the spirit that even now works in the children of disobedience. That's the way you used to walk. You used to walk as a disobedient child of God according to the spirit that drives them and promotes them. That's how you used to walk. But he says in verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter number 2, Ephesians 2 and 3, he says, we used to walk according to the spirit of those that were in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. Not talking about our speech. As you know, most times conversations talking about your life, your lifestyle, your conduct, your behavior. He said, among also, we all had our conversation. In other words, we all been there. We all acted like that. We all uh, patterned our life in such a way. He says, in times past, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So Paul is alluding to, again, the church at Ephesus. They have had their, their transformation. They are now children of God. They've been saved. But he's telling them, don't you remember when we used to do all that stuff in times past? So that's great, Paul. Paul's talking about times past. But what about time present? Well, time present still tells us that we have some struggle still yet with some desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse number 17, for the flesh lusteth or desires against the spirit. The flesh desires that which is different. It's against the way that the spirit desires and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And so... Paul spoke about time past dealing with the, the lust of our flesh. And in Galatians, he talks about time present. We still, by virtue of the Spirit, have to get under control the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. 
we still battle against those things. They still haunt us. They still haunt us. Even things that we used to do, if the environment gets just right, there can still be a desire, that, an appetite, a spark, if you will, that flashes, that comes back to us. It could be a smell, it could be a taste. It could be a variety of things that haunt us. And the Bible says, James says, that we're drawn away by our own lust, our own desires, and entice. Because that's how every man is tempted. No man can say that he is tempted of God. Amen, that cannot happen. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. That's how every man is tempted. And it's at that point that conception, all right, conception that leads to sin, following through the temptation brings conception that leads to sin, according to James. At that point, conception either happens from a surrendering to the temptation or we endure and abort the desires of our flesh and walk away from the opportunity, if you want to call it that, or the snag to do that which is wrong in the eyes of God. Now here's something we must realize according to James. In James 12, it said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The blessed man is not the one that's never tempted. For that matter, there's no such like a man or woman. But blessed is the man that endureth. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation or endures temptation. We've discussed this before. When you see the ETH ending on these words many times in our English Bibles, it's indicating that it's an action that's not a one-time occurrence, but it occurs and keeps on occurring. So blessed is the man that endureth, that endures and keeps on enduring temptation. The blessed man is the one that when temptation comes, he refuses to fall into it and he continues to refuse to fall into it or succumb to it. So blessed is the man that endures temptation and the Bible says when he is tried, not if, he shall receive the crown of life. So the crown of life is given to and reserved for, watch this, tempted people that endured the pooling of the temptation, that endured not giving in to their own lusts, not yielding to their own lusts in an improper way. Amen. The crown of life then comes to tempted people who are people that endured their moment of temptation, or should I say their moments of temptation. And so how we respond, how we respond to temptations, which are our desires because we're drawn away by our own lust, right? And entice. So how we respond to temptations, our own desires, really showcase what we love more in that very moment. In that very moment. When we give in to temptations, which are the product of our own desires, then we prove in that very moment that we're more in love with our desire than we are his desire. When we refuse to surrender in those moments, then we prove in that moment that we love him more than the own desire that we have in our life, than whatever the temptation may be. And there are various, everybody say various. There are various temptations for each of us and for each person. And so how we yield 
amen, or even how we endure or whether we endure proves where our love lies between the two, the present desire and the Lord. Now, here's something we must understand. Whenever being deprived of a need, I want to talk about this just for a quick moment. Being deprived of a need uh, creates a state of tension in our lives. We, we call then that state a drive. Nevertheless, it motivates us to try to satisfy the need. Uh, for instance, when there is an absence of food, here you are, uh, you're deprived of food, then there's something that happens, a drive. You start to feel hungry. I know this is deep and profound. When you have the absence of water, you become thirsty. It's a natural desire. You are absence of a relationship. Some people might be all right, but some, you will start to feel lonely. You, your absence of safety, then you start to feel vulnerable. And so being deprived of something or lacking something then creates inside of you a drive, amen, for it is what you are without. And many times you want to satisfy that on your own. Does someone understand what I'm saying right now? And so these natural drives and desires, in essence, they are given to us by God. At the base level, even our desires are harmless, but it's when we put an unhealthy twist on them that they prove to be tempting. For instance, I don't have any food. I'm hungry. My desire is to eat. I'm hungry. I can satisfy the desire of Sister, Sister Joella, but if I go over in abundance to where I have ate so much, I am beyond full, and I've reached the point of gluttony. All right? There was a real base natural desire. The Lord created us to become hungry. But it's the how or to what extent that we fulfill the desire, whether or not it becomes wrong or it remains right. Does someone hear what I'm saying? So it's when we put that unhealthy twist on it that these things prove to become temptations. For that matter... Every need or desire that we experience in our lives, God is really trying to lead us to see him as the provider. Sincerely, over and over again, he's, trying, he's creating these desires in our lives to look to him as the ultimate provider of whatever it is. In real simple cases throughout the scripture, he was in the scripture, in the Psalms, he was considered the hiding place for his people the shelter for his people. He was considered in Mark being our bread of life. At the well, amen, with the lady at the well, he was the water of life. In Proverbs, he is spoken of as you want to talk about being lonely or needing some type of relational interaction. He was the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Psalms, some people, because see, we, we have desires for certain pleasures in our life. We want to pleasure ourselves sometimes with things that are not correct in, according to the word. But the Bible says in Psalms that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. All those things, those natural tendencies and even desires that the Lord puts in our flesh, amen, that have no twist of, 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 of outside of the scope of the word of the Lord. He's wanting us to see him as the one that can satisfy those desires, satisfy those needs, the base roots of our human desires, even the twisted ones and unhealthy ones are signs that should point us to God and should provoke our pursuit of God. 
Listen, you got to back it up. Somebody that looks at a married man's wife and wants to commit adultery with her. That's a desire for relation. The desire of relation is not wrong, but the desire of who the relation is with is incorrect. That desire for relation should be focused upon his own wife if he has one. huh? And if not, ultimately, when man is alone, he still can have relationship with the Lord. And so there's a lot of even twisted and messed up things. You say, man, I can't. If you look at the twisted ones, there is a base true desire that is proper but just may be misplaced. People are looking for pleasure. I'm going to get high. Really want, they want pleasure. Amen. But the, the desire of pleasure in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. But it's how you're going to fulfill the desire. And that's where temptation, you're drawn away by your own lust. We put the twist on things. That innate desire that was placed there by God for what? So that we would look to him. That we would become, as scripture would ultimately say in Colossians, that we are complete in him. That the food wouldn't do it, the drink wouldn't do it, the relationship wouldn't do it, all those other things. But honestly, totally, our completeness is found in the Lord. And so the Lord has promised then a crown of life. Look at it now. He says, back to verse number 12, that when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that, everybody say love, that love him. The Lord has promised a crown of life to them that love him. Amen. And so one way that love is determined or that love is gauged is how we react when we are presented with these deep-seated fleshly desires, how we react. If we endure, if we endure our own sometimes twisted desires for the greater pool of keeping his desires, then scripture says we shall receive a crown of life. And it's all about what we are loving in the moment and for our life journey along here, our enduring what we are loving and continuing to love or what we are shunning and continuing to shun or if you're giving in what you're giving into and continuing to give into, that's going to be a deciding matter in whether or not we receive the crown of life. Look, James 1 and verse number 7. For let not that man, the man that it's referring to is the man in the previous verse, He's the one that is spoken of as one that wavereth as a wave of the sea rises and falls and blows left to right. For let not that man, the man that wavereth, think that he shall receive anything. Now the thing that he asked, he said, if any man lack wisdom, ask of God, he'll give it to you liberally. Ask of God, speaking concerning wisdom, but he encompasses, let not that man that wavereth think that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Because a wavering man that's spoken of here in the context of James chapter number 1 is the man that constantly is going back and forth between giving in to own desires rather than giving in to God, and other days giving in to God rather than your own desires. Wavering. Back and forth. Back and forth. Don't get me wrong, there's going to be times that we make mistakes, but it shouldn't be just constantly hopping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. By no means. He says, that man shall not receive anything of the Lord, and since the crown of life is something that we receive, thus that man will not receive the crown of life if he persists as a man that wavers constantly back and forth between his desires 
my desires. His desires. My des- his desires. Amen. The admonition then follows in verse number 16 of James 1. It says, do not err, E-R-R, my beloved brethren. That expression, do not err, speaks of one who is prone to wonder, or if you will, roam about. Sounds a lot like wavering, doesn't it? To stray from the subject at hand. Sounds like wavering. He said, do not err, my brethren. Don't waver. That was the cap that he put on all of this. You want to receive the crown of life from the Lord? Amen. Then you need to endure temptations more days than you fall into temptation or give in, rather, into temptation. You need to endure them. Amen. Uh, Let your life and surrender over to his desires rather than your own fleshly desires. Don't constantly wonder and waver and roam about in all of that. The Bible says in James 1 and verse number 27, still within this context of the first chapter, he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And look at this last phrase. So I want to read the first phrase and the last phrase together. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep ourselves unspotted from the world, you're going to have to endure some temptations. And the means by which you endure temptations is by staying in love with God. Because when the moment comes, his desires are yours. You in love with him, you're going to fulfill his desires rather than your own. Jude even told them, Jude 1 and verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude told them, Jude's dealing with people that crept in unawares. He's dealing with people in the last times, he said, that were going to be mockers uh, that would exist and that would, he said this, that would walk after their own ungodly lusts. So they're being driven by their own twisted, ungodly desires. He says these ones, these people would separate themselves from the Lord. If I can say it like this, they would waver away from the Lord And so they were urged then, Jude urges them to keep themselves in the love of God. Why? He says, I know if I can get them in God's love, they will endure, amen, their own fleshly desires. They won't give in, but they'll endure. They'll make it through it because if they'll keep in the love of God. And yet a moment later in verse 24 of Jude, Jude only has one chapter, he commits them to the care of their God and Savior, who the Bible says, who is able to keep them from falling. You want to be kept in the love of God because he's going to help keep you from falling you know what that does then makes the security of the crown of life that much more prominent for you amen you know if you have people running the race that's trying to go for the victor's crown you cannot constantly get off the path and run your own direction and then decide to get back on and think that you're going to be able to obtain a crown you hear what I'm saying? You can't constantly waver. Huh? you got to stay on the path that is constructed. The signage that says this is the one. You know, the arrows that point, you turn left here and you turn right there. 
you got to stay on that path in order to get the victor's crown. It's no different than with our walk and journey with the Lord. We can't be wavering constantly back and forth. Folks, we don't have time to waver. We can't be wavering back and forth. We can't just constantly, you know, we, we need a greater percentage of days getting it right than getting it wrong. You know, there is a crown of life, amen, for them that will love the Lord. And we love Him by choosing what He choose or has chose for us than choosing what we have chose for ourselves. Amen. So he's, the Lord, he, 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 we need to keep in the love of God. And He then also is able to keep us then from falling, from wavering, from not enduring. Because listen, you're going to be tempted. I don't care who you are. You will be. The difference comes to what will you do with the temptation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that then, a lot of how we react or how we respond to that then goes right directly to the reception of or the denial of the crown of life. The Bible in Romans, or Revelations, rather, 2.10 that I read in your hearing, this is the church of Smyrna, the letter that was written to the church at Smyrna, known as the faithful church. It says, this is the, uh, the word of the Lord speaking to the angel of the church or the minister of the church. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So we almost have really two, two types of uh, trials and struggles. We have in James the trial that comes by birth of our own desires. And then in Revelation, we have the trials that come that are external that we don't have necessarily anything to do with, but it's our environment where we live so and so forth coming against us, just the struggles of life. And so we got two different ones. But how we respond to both is vitally important whenever it comes to the reward of the crown of life. The church in Smyrna, it's described in the Scripture here as being, the church that is, is described as being in poverty. That's being in poverty materially. But now I love the little parentheses after it. If you would look at a, a, a verse earlier, amen, from verse number 10, it says, but you're rich. Meaning you might be in poverty spiritually or in poverty materially, but you're rich spiritually. The church in Smyrna, Smyrna was a very rich city. It was surrounded by riches. It was a great city. Uh, it was a great trade city. Wealth and, and commercial greatness, that, that was Smyrna's fame. But within that context was a church uh, that, that, according to Scripture, was being persecuted, suffering uh, tribulation and hardship and trial, and that was in poverty. But Smyrna, you got to understand where these church people were in Smyrna. They were... Uh, in Smyrna, which was a part of the Roman Empire, and any city that became a part of the Roman Empire got a lot of perks that they didn't have when they weren't a part of the Roman Empire. Whenever a city became a part of the Roman Empire, man, they, their, the, the jobs and the access to waterways and roads and just their whole status of living uh, became better as a result of that. And so then being part of the Roman, a Roman citizen of the Roman Empire, man, they felt like they owed everything to Rome because of their lives doing so much better, it would seem economically and so on and so forth. And they didn't know really how to show thanks uh, because, you know, Rome at that 
that time didn't necessarily have a God of wood or stone that they could show thanks to. So then they started showing thanks to their Caesars, the people that were over them. And at first it wasn't something that was highly accepted, but over time they started doing these little things of sacrificing to Caesar, taking a little pinch of incense and throwing it, and they would proclaim Caesar is Lord. And so it became something that was demanded then of the people that were a part of the Roman Empire, that they should call, call out that Caesar is Lord and do their little pinch of incense. And so a true quick Christian, whenever it came to that hour, they were expected of every individual. So the church of Smyrna, when those Christians would come before them, and it was that time of year that they were to proclaim that Caesar was Lord and have that little pinch of incense, they could not do that, could they? Because there was only one Lord in their life, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. They could, and see, here is the thing. It would seem real simple, Brother Terry, because once the way that the Roman government was set up, once a person said Caesar is the Lord and did the little pinch of incense, Rome didn't care what you served, but they wanted you to make your allegiance at least once a year that Caesar was the Lord. Could you mind going through everybody's head? All I got to do this is once a year, and if I do this just once a year, then I can go and serve the Lord and all the other days, and it's no big deal. You understand how our minds work? Just once, just once a year, a little incense, what's the big deal? A little proclamation, Caesar, what's the big God knows in my heart I really don't mean that. <laughs> but these Christians, not even once a year, not just a little even pinch of incense, they would totally d- decline from doing that. Why? Why? Because they're staying true to their love they have for the Lord. At all costs. Amen. At all costs. They are going to worship the one true Lord. If anybody's going to be labeled Lord, it's going to be the God that they serve. And so as a result of that, when you didn't do that, you were considered an outlaw. And you were liable then to heavy persecution. Mm Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the torturing that was inflicted in that culture and day and hour was almost unspeakable. They had people that they had that were upon the racks, as they were called, in chains, their hands and feet chained to one end to the other. And whenever they would deny uh, that Caesar is the Lord and wouldn't do their little incense, they would just tighten up the tension on those chains on both ends that much more to the place of actually ripping people's arms and legs off from their bodies. Just because on one day of a whole year, they wasn't going to say Caesar was the Lord. Others, of course, were put cooked alive in boiling pots of oil. Others were thrown to the lines, all for the same purpose and reason. But you know what the Lord is saying here to the church at Smyrna? He says, you all, because you've been faithful. You've been faithful. You didn't even give up a day or a moment of time to anything else. You were faithful. He says, I will give unto you the crown of life. All, all reward and given to you the crown of life because you're not giving lip service to anything else although you say, oh, God will understand my heart. Amen. In other words, the church at Smyrna loved the Lord more than their own lives. They loved the Lord more than their own desires. Amen. Their hardship came 
Their hardship came from their environment. Their hardship came from their surroundings. It was diametrically opposed, amen, to the God that they served. They had all kinds of other pagan gods, amen, but their, their, their life was living differently from that. And so their surroundings was opposed to them. And they needed to remain faithful to God, although their surroundings didn't promote faithfulness. Does that resonate with any of us today? There's much of our surroundings in our environment that does not promote faithfulness to Him. But He's saying, because you are faithful to me in spite of your surroundings. He says, I'll give unto you the crown of life. Can someone say amen? He says, those that are faithful unto death. It's kind of like similar to our traditional wedding vows. Till death do us part, right? That, that concept of that idea that none will separate the two. The life of one will essentially be the life of the other. He says, you'll be faithful unto death. In other words, you, 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 you're not going to be in a relationship with me and have a mistress on the side. Because that type of setup the woman that you're married to still makes your bed, still cooks your meals. But the other one you seek out for pleasure. Oh, God. He said, no, 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 no. He says, you're faithful unto death. Paul says, I've espoused you to one husband. So you're faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. The Christians of Smyrna, they lived in a situation in which on every side, all the grandeur and the quote-unquote splendors of heathen worship met their eyes. Behind their city rose a hill that was covered with temples and all of these fancy buildings and encircled a hill that was called the Crown of Smyrna because of the way that these buildings formed a crown, as it were, on the top of the hill. And in Smyrna, notably, it was worshipers of pagan gods that were oftentimes the ones wearing crowns. Amen. But the Lord's telling them, I know you're in a society of a bunch of pagan and heathenistic worshipers, and typically they are the ones with the crowns on their heads. He says, but game changer. He says, if you are faithful to me till the end, he says, I'm going to put a crown on your head. Amen. In spite of where you have lived, what it's been denoted here. He says, I'm going to change it all. There's going to be a crown set up on your head. And it's going to be meaningful. Amen. Because you are the Christians. You are the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was even known as the crown of Asia Minor because it was such a beautiful city. Every year there were administrators and rulers and priests and such that received crowns for their faithfulness to their duties and to the cause and the reputation of Smyrna. But again, Christ is saying, do not clamor for the worldly achievements of these people. I will give you a crown that supersedes this world if you are faithful. Some have called it, and I'm coming to a close. I'm here about 41 minutes. Some have called it the crown of life the martyr's crown, because faithful unto death, you know, as though that you would almost need to give your life or die for the cause of Christ in order to receive it. 
And even due to Revelation speaking, faithful to death, those are the ones that receive it. However, I want to point out, in James and in Revelation, there are concepts of both endurance in James and faithfulness in the book of Revelation. And each of these really speaks of a common thread, and that is a person's love for the Lord. You endure temptations, natural desires, because of your love for the Lord. And you're faithful in spite of the diametric surroundings that you live in because of your love for the Lord. And for that reason, then, I say that perhaps the crown of life could really be called the crown of love because that's really what it is a testament to, our love and our relationship with the Lord. If you can stand with me tonight, crown of life. There used to be, years ago, there was a song. See, watch ye, therefore, you know not the day when the Lord shall call your soul away. If you're fighting, striving for the right, ye shall wear a robe and crown says, I'm going to wear a crown, I'm going to wear a crown. When the trumpet sounds, when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to wear a crown. Amen. And if we keep our love for him invigorated with fire and with the spirit of the Lord, and we continue, I say continue, if you've not even got it started yet, get on the horse of enduring temptations rather than yielding to I'm not saying you're not I'm not saying you'll never get it wrong but I'm saying we need to try to we need to be poised in a position we're getting it more right than wrong we need to be faithful in spite of our surroundings unto death until death and in it whatever reason I don't think necessarily there's a grand problem here but our elders need to be faithful unto death I've seen too many really in my short history of life that as they got older they really got slack and I and their affection for the Lord let some things go that they wouldn't used to let go why some's like well I've fought all these years just tired of fighting Strive, fight, ye shall wear a robe and crown. We've got to be faithful unto death. I don't think there's a place where I go into necessarily just reserves. I am a part of the army of the Lord until I leave this place. Amen. I'm not, I'm not retiring early, right? We've got to be faithful unto the end, and we shall receive a crown of life. Can we bow our heads in this place tonight? Father, I come to you this evening. I pray, oh Lord, I need Lord Jesus. I want, I desire. 
Lord God, for you give it to those, God, to whom, Lord Jesus, love you. God, that when we are tried, Lord Jesus, when we are tempted, God, those moments will come, but it's how we respond and how we react in those moments. God, that bring other determinations, Lord Jesus, in our life. Help me, Lord, to be an endurer. Help me, Lord, to be faithful. God, in both of those, Lord Jesus, help me to showcase my love and my affection, Lord, toward you I pray oh Lord today God for I want to receive a crown that is a testament of the love that I had toward and for the Lord I pray oh God there is not another God I am not trying to share Lord Jesus I'm not trying to monopolize God and have my own desires or share them God with another or some other entity in my life no 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 God I want Lord Jesus to adopt your desires as my own and I want want to follow through with them and I want to Lord Jesus to be steady with them and I want to Lord Jesus to make heaven my home someday I don't want Lord Jesus to go off the path veer off the path help me Lord to keep the main thing the main thing and let not my eyes be averted Lord from what is important what is essential and vital in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen can everybody say amen the crown of life there is no determination that each week is going to be a solitary crown. We might throw two together, so on and so forth. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Prayer at the church tomorrow, next gen Friday. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.